Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Woman of Yards. My name, as always, is Brian M. Davis. I'm your racist host for this podcast, talk show, YouTube thing, whatever you want to call it. Joining me today is... Hi, I'm Lindley Key. I am a actress, singer, writer, podcaster, and cosplayer based in New York City. Yeah, so we got a lot of cover today. <laughs> Normally, I've been talking to actors, actors, actresses, singers, that sort of thing. But when you have essentially four categories that I, you know, two categories on Bradley, uh, uh, two categories I already know, which is acting and writing. That's two categories I know. Podcasting, I'm sort of getting used to this, even though this is season two, I'm still getting used to it. And then we have cosplay, which is an area do it I do I do not know. So, so in in short, how did you get into the performing arts just in general? It's like, what is your background essentially? I know we were talking about this beforehand, but you, you get. Um, I got into the performing arts when I was a little kid. I'm sure a lot of people have these stories of, you know, loving acting since they were young and growing up and studying it. And mine's essentially the same. I grew up in a very small town and the performing arts was not a big deal, but I had wonderful parents who supported me. They took me to see shows. Uh, um, and I just, I fell in love with it. I studied it all throughout high school. And then in college, I was lucky enough to go to the South Carolina School of the Arts at Anderson University and study musical theater. And I have a BA in musical theater now. Yeah. Uh, that, that's been, that's been a, a couple of like recent topics that I've been wanting to talk about is essentially musical theater. And I know musical theater is essentially a beast on its own because as opposed to regular theater, which is essentially, you know, plays and, you know, stuff like that. Musicals are much more like, I, I want to say demanding, but more like physically, like more physically, more physical in a sense, because not only are you essentially uh, singing almost like every other night or every night or practically twice a day and you got to do warm-ups and stuff like that. Could you like, in terms of musical theater, especially in the VA in musical theater, like what were you taught about in terms of getting a bachelor's in musical theater? Um, things that we were taught was basically everything in your body you have to, you know, tr try to maintain, not only for... Um, for dancing with your body, but also you have to exercise your voice because that is an instrument in itself, like a piano or a violin. You're, if you're a singer, your voice is your instrument and it's a highly important instrument. Yeah. And, you know, warming up, making sure that you're not only singing the right notes, but singing properly, because if, you're, if you don't sing properly, your voice can really be damaged. So it's about just keeping everything in check. Yeah, uh, I know for the most part, before we even go out of stage, my professor uh, of last semester, well, two semesters ago, um, a great guy named uh, Manuel Simons. He has a great technique right before we go out on stage, that sort of thing. And we would do like the same, like we, you know, we would do like a back roll or something like that. We just mm -hmm. like up our like drawer things, like you know that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. it's so hearing that that's that that 
it's almost hearing like the same thing, like the same sort of stuff that we'll be hearing on out on uh, classrooms. Like, but knowing that your body is essentially your tool, that's actually an interesting thing. Because I, you know, when I hear musical theater, it's like, oh, okay, musical theater, your your voice mostly, or your your voice and probably your feet are probably the more uh, uh, more of the uh, tools uh, of the trade. As opposed to just being, you know, oh, your hands yeah, are going to be your tools for today, that sort of thing. So hearing that your whole body essentially is a tool, that's an interesting perspective because I didn't actually, I, I wouldn't have thought of that perspective until you actually bring that up. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about your hometown. It's like you mentioned that your hometown had a, like little to no like performing arts, that sort of thing. It was like, was it like a very quiet, like, Quiet town where it's like they only had like a little community uh, theater, that sort of thing, or was it, or was there no community theater at all? And it was only like you know, uh, high school plays or just like play, like school plays, that sort of thing. Well, I grew up in rural North Carolina where NASCAR was invented, that's where oh. I grew up. So, that should <laughs> tell you everything you need to know about North yeah. Wilkesboro, North Carolina. Um, it is a very small town. If you know what the Andy Griffith show is, it's basically made. Mayberry from the Andy Griffith show, but it's very, very nice, very quiet. You know, all the people, they know everybody's names. They know everybody's business. And we did have a wonderful community theater program. And it's one that once my parents realized that I enjoyed, um, being playing characters and being creative my teachers literally took my parents aside to be like there's a community theater audition if you do not take her we will <laughs> so the, we would always have the the wilkes community players at benton hall and you know they did wizard of oz a lot so i played a a poppy i was in the lullaby league i was in both annie and annie warbucks in case you didn't know there is a sequel to annie Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, I remember that now. It's like, I vaguely remember hearing about, like, the, like, not, nec- not necessarily Annie 2, but just, like, the Annie Warbucks, the, like, character. It's like, oh, that's probably just her, just when he sees it out at the end, she's like, oh, she's just Annie Warbucks. But then, then, then like, then you hear, like, oh, no, there's this little orphan there, and it's like, wait a minute, this is yeah, I think it was based yeah. off of a an old radio show, and they made a sequel to the musical. I, I don't think it ever got big. It's rare for a musical sequel to get big, unless it's just amazing. So I'm looking to I'm looking at you, love number love number dies. Oh, don't get oh we. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Angela, sure, sure, Angela Weber, if you're watching this, I am sorry, but it, it, it was a joke that I had to say. I love Planet of the Opera. It is one of my favorite musicals, but what were you thinking? Seriously. Anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Moving on. Moving on. So, <laughs> yeah, back to the hometown. We had, we had a community theater, but as far as drama in schools, it was basically non-existent except for a couple high schools. The middle school that I went to had a chorus program, but the high school that I would have gone to if I, we moved from North Carolina to South Carolina right before I started high school. If we would have stayed in North Carolina, the high school I would have gone to would have had no drama program. They had chorus, 
but no drama. Yeah. And I was kind of an outlier in my town because everyone was very down home, very, you know, country music. And I was off in the corner going, and I, and no one else liked musical theater like I did. So when I moved and I got to be in an environment where we did have a drama program and we did plays and musicals and one acts, it was, it really helped spark that love of the performing arts that I have. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me of my high school. Was like, I think for the most part, there was a singing. I, I want to say there was like because I know because my music teacher, who unfortunately passed away like a couple of years after I graduated, he was a big rock and roller. So he used to yes. teach a lot. He, he would teach us like a lot of rock and roll. He had his own like rock and roll uh, uh, club that he and I think I was a part of it. I, I don't. I want to say yes, but, uh, and I know I kind of like uh, guilted him into uh, into uh, having us learn doing banjos in class one day. And, <laughs> and and it was like, Brian, do you really want to learn uh, that song? It's like, yeah, I've always heard about it, but is it possible for us to actually learn the basis of ding, 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 ding. And, and I know he had like his own like rock thing and they kind of like carried that uh, rock club uh, I want to say maybe a couple of years after his passing too, but in when I was at high school, we had, I believe we didn't have like a theater thing there. It mm -hmm. was, even though there was like a musical, uh, not musical, even though there was like music classes, you know, how to play, you know, rock, that sort of thing was, because one of the times I do remember there was actually a full on performance of like the, like the, uh, rock performance by the rock club and this mm -hmm. was during a concert too so but there was no like theater things but like say maybe a decade or so after i had graduated or so i'd start learning that my high school has a drama club now or at least a drummer like has drummer uh act which has always been interesting because a lot of my teachers are always say, oh you know you have a very great voice for radio that sort of thing why don't you try acting when you were older you know that sort of thing like really hyped me up in terms of my, you know, just being an actor, that sort of thing. And if I had, like what you just said before, is like I would, you know, I grew up watching movies. I grew up watching a lot of movies, that sort of thing. So acting kind of stuck with me. So if I had that uh, outlet of having like a drama class in my high school during that time, I probably would have had a lot more understanding of what acting is, that sort of thing, as opposed mm -hmm. to just like coming into community college where acting is kind of like very jumbled up. And then once you go into college itself, acting is like you kind of like learn the stuff you knew about community college, and that's sort of like that's sort of like, well, you know, in community college or wherever, toss it out right now. We're learning new stuff. That's sort of thing. So, yeah, <laughs> especially especially the, the the type of teachers, well, the type of professors I've had in the past. So, yeah. Uh, who will be fun, but at the same time, they will be like, okay, the stuff you know, but the stuff you know now, just toss it out. We're not doing, yeah. we're not, we're not, we're not doing Meisner, we're not doing Chekhov, I mean, we're not, we're going to be learning about Chekhov, but we're not doing that type <laughs> of acting, that's what, you know, we're not learning how Brando was method, all that stuff, we're learning about, uh, we might talk about why Brando was method, that's what thing. Yeah. Uh, we might talk about Stavisdowski, that sort of thing, but yeah, it was like, all the stuff that you kind of knew in the past, it was like this, 
check that out and just swear that because we'll be teaching you new stuff that's kind of like in the in the basis of that stuff yeah anyway uh i feel like i trailed off but no you're fine it's it's amazing how different teachers will focus on different forms of teaching acting it's never really consistent but yeah. i think it's important to learn all of these ways and all of these methods to find out what works for you because someone might really be drawn to Adler and not Stanislavski and that's how they you know perceive acting and how they are able to get their emotions across it, it really does differ I going back to the whole the acting in musical theater in the body we had yeah. one professor who took the whole physicality yeah and took it to extremes. We spent the first half of the semester just exercising. Oh, wow. To the point where it took someone getting injured to finally be like, okay, uh, we're gonna do monologues next time. Because we were doing like hamstring workouts. And the next class, a friend of mine comes in on crutches. She doesn't say oh, a word. She just takes her crutch, points it at the teacher and goes, you. And it's one of my favorite college memories ever. Yeah. And then uh, after that, we finally started studying text. I think that's the reason why uh, when I was in community college, I had the voice and movement class separate from my regular class. Because voice and movement class, that, that, that's fun. And even though that's twice, that was twice a week with like 50 minutes, but, you know, you only need like maybe an hour or so just to do that. But doing like that yeah. for like long stretches of like, like literally long stretches for like hours on end. That's yeah. not that's not like the best way of preparing an actor. It's counterproductive. Yeah, the best way to uh, to prepare an actor is really just to have them like freshen up their mind, having like uh, because the way my professor uh, Manuel, I mean Manuel, I know I call him Manu, uh, Manuel because the way his name looks, but he he pronounces as like Manuel, like how you would say Manuel. Like a car manual, but manual, he he had a great uh, repetition thing where it was like we're gonna do the bouncing ball thing. We would do like you know toss like the, the fake bouncing ball to them, and then mm -hmm. it was like, and he would be like looking around, it was like, hey, do like that, and then it was like all of a sudden, like after a couple of moments, like these four different balls, was like it's like, <laughs> it's like it was, and then we would actually do where it's like, and how would you feel like after all that? It was like. I feel like I'm very repressed. It's like, good. I'm just actually letting you like get more creative, like having you remember more and more. Because the more you remember, the more you become. And because essentially, the more you remember, the more you were able to remember your lines, that sort of things. Yeah. It helps you become a lot more uh, naturalistic in terms of like being an actor. Yeah. And I know being an actor is just being. Oh, you just say your lines, that sort of thing, but. When you're out on stage, it's a whole different feeling. And I'm pretty yeah. sure it's a whole different feeling when you're doing like a musical, because that's like a whole different feeling whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you came from a very small town, mm -hmm. practically the home of Mass Harbor. Uh, how was transitioning into that portion into once you got into New York? Like how long did you actually get into the New York lifestyle? Where it was like, you kind of like got used to the New York, like, hey, I'm, like the whole, hey, I'm walking over here. You I'm walking here. Give me a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's like you got used to the whole, it's like, hey, I, I'm going to need a bacon egg, you know, bacon, egg and cheese on the roll. Here. 
I'm like, <laughs> I, I need that chopped cheese, you know? It's like, like, like how long did it take? Because I know people who, because I was actually took a couple of my guests in the past, they aren't like, uh, they were, you know, essentially international people coming into America, you know, especially coming into New York, that sort of thing. Uh, but the people who have been essentially from one, like one state into another, it took them like, say, a relatively short time. So in terms of like getting used to essentially the New York lifestyle, the New York mentality, how long did it take you essentially to essentially I, I want to say get used to New York in general, especially coming from I, a very small town. Honestly, I think it's still a an ongoing, yeah, a work in progress, an ongoing process. Because I, I was raised in a small town, and even after we moved, it was still not a big metropolis area. Um, I was very lucky. My parents would, you know, we would sometimes fly to New York so I could come see shows. But, you know, staying for a week or so in New York is not the same as actually living here and getting used to the lifestyle here. It's a lot of, I was, I was raised in a very Southern household and yeah. sometimes my accent will slip, especially if I start talking about home, I'll slip into my, my Southern accent again. But I was very much raised in the, the whole importance of politeness. So saying, excuse me, if you bump into someone, uh, calling someone, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, as a sign of respect. Figured out probably within my first year of living here, that was not the case in New York. Yeah. Um, you know, people didn't say excuse me if they bumped into you or knocked you down in the subway. I had a boss, I worked at a restaurant in Times Square. It was an awful place. And my boss had asked me to do something and I said, yes, sir, because I was raised that that was, you know, polite. Yeah. And he gives me this nasty look like, don't, don't call me, sir. Don't, don't do that. Why'd you do that? And then walked away. And I'm like, okay. A couple weeks later, he asked me to do something again. And just because it's engraved in my brain, I said, yes, I said, yes, sir. He gets in my face like, Stop calling me that. Why do you do that? And it took every ounce of my being not to look at him and say, well, I'm sorry, sir. Well, I'm from, that's a sign of respect. If you don't want to, me to respect you, that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I noticed that I, I, I grew up with a like, very Italian, Irish, Scottish, Swedish household. So uh, I, like, I'm very vastly European. I kind of joke. And a lot of the things that I kind of like my grandparents they would always be very gracious and all that stuff but when I'd be going to uh, school and whatnot I would be like like almost a bit like yeah it's odd because how it's like when you go to school that sort of thing especially as a kid you kind of like used to saying uh, Mr. Uh, you know Mr. Mm -hmm. Smith or Miss uh you know, Miss Turner, that sort of thing, you know, I have to be very gracious, that sort of thing. And when you're with your grandparents, it's like, you know, again, the same thing. It's, but but when you're out in the world and your boss gives you like a look about that uh, and how you're trying to be, and, and again, I worked in a place that one of my jobs, uh, especially as an actor, was doing ushering. And I won't mm -hmm. say the name, I won't say the theater name, but it was a very prominent off-Broadway theater within the, uh, 
the Broadway uh, circuit. So I'll just say that. And my uh, house manager, he was, I want to say a type A personality or at least something like that. And he was like really, really anal about, you know, if you got here or late, that sort of thing. So it's like, and then, and then when he would be off the clock, i.e. You know, when the play has started, he'd be just like, Lily, I'm sitting, out, I'm sitting down, just like looking at his phone, just like as, I, as all the other, <laughs> like all the other ushers. But when, if I had got here, like say five minutes later, because of the train, because games in the theater, it's always going to be a problem, especially if you're going into Times Square, which is where, yeah. you know, which is where most of the plays, you know, most of the plays are going to be. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're running down the block and you have, and you got to be like plowing through essentially all these people, you know, just to get to the theater on time. And sure enough, the day I actually got to the theater on time, ish, I was just coming off from my, uh, la- my, uh, my class from, uh, my class of that day, I didn't get a chance to, you know, change my thing. And he was like, you know what? I've had it up with you. He's like, you're wearing the walk pants, just go home. And I was just wearing, like, I was actually wearing pants that were essentially uh, blue, but they looked dark in, in different lighting. And mm-hmm. and I thought they were like black pants because they were black pants, but I was like, no, they're blue. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay. And I walked away from the theater very sad because I felt like very, it's hard because you know I, I I tried to respect this guy as much as I could, but in the end he wasn't respecting me. And of course I have you know different you know problems altogether, especially with people being around me. I have you know I think essentially combating social anxiety for the most part that sort of thing. So being in a theater, especially as an usher, was like the most I want to say stressful job, but still the most fun job because I was still having helping people that sort of thing. And it's yeah. like. The moment I'm thinking about my job, like all that stuff is like goes away, that sort of thing. But yeah. and of course he didn't he didn't really have like he never actually took me off to say like Brian, I, I need to talk to you for a few minutes. Can 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 we talk? It's like that sort of thing. He never actually took me to side, he always had this more very professional thing. So hearing that and I and I have a funny feeling, did your boss or anything actually took you take you to side? It's like, why do you keep on calling me sure? Or was it that or was it just like yeah, essentially. No, so, no, so he it, was a jerk. He he was just he was just an overall jerk, and that's another thing I've learned about being here. I am a big yeah. people pleaser. I want everyone to like me. Essentially, so yeah. living in New York, I've realized, you know, you can't please everybody. There are going to be some people you will try your darndest to make friends with, and some people just don't want to be your friend. Oh, and I learned that you, the hard way. Yeah, you have to learn to accept that. You're, you're not going to please everybody, and it's not worth it for your own mental sake yeah. to, you know, beat yourself up if this person doesn't want to be your friend. You just say, you know, all right, I tried. They're lost. Move on. Yeah. I, I think for the most part, being an actor, especially when you need that survival job or just job in general, you – it's odd because when you're an actor, you're kind of like very used to – I, I want to say actors are very used to getting orders from a director and the director always being very either very nice mm-hmm. or depending on the director being very mean. So in a way, actors with their regular job, I think they do want to be like very nice, be people pleaser, as you just mentioned. But at the same time, actors are very methodical 
people and they do do things that they it's like they're very clicky at the same time so yes. even, without, even when they're on on your job and you have another actor I'm like oh you're an actor I'm like oh yeah you're an actor okay and you're just like all the actors in the job just start hanging out with each other and here's you who has a career in in theater but you're like kind of like a stagehand sometimes or you know you do audio engineer or you know you do visual arts and you don't have that kind of like connection because you don't like have that mentality of acting where it's like mm -hmm. you don't have you don't know all these places that sort of thing and i do have that mentality of acting but i don't have like this background of acting sort of thing so it's it's very it, i kind of joke that i'm kind of like i have like this very blade-esque way of walking between two worlds where i'm just like i'm both on the technical world where I'm like, I'm more into technical theater, but at the same time, I'm able to walk in the world of just being an, as an actor too. So like I'm yeah. able to walk between these two things and still be able to be mistreated because I'm still not like an actor almost for that. But yeah, uh, and and again, it, uh, but to, to move away from that, because uh, again, just talking about uh, uh, like, gang jobs as actors that's like a whole discussion by itself but especially especially when you're a starting actor that sort of thing uh, uh so uh, you mentioned that you are a podcaster mm -hmm. uh because i'm gonna save the cosplay stuff last okay uh, because i feel like that's the more like more stuff that I don't know about more so, but so I'm just going to the stuff that like I know you're. It's like you mentioned your writer shows. Like I've talked a lot about writing my show previously, so I'm kind of like tapped that one. Like, yeah. So it was like it was like it was supposed. To, so I feel like even if I start talking about writing on the show again, it's, I feel like that's another discussion by itself. So, <laughs> but podcasting. How did you get into podcasting? So I got into podcasting thanks to two of my friends that I went to college with. They were seniors when I was a freshman. So they had already established a podcast called Popcorn Prattle. And that podcast basically just talked about movies, entertainment. They did reviews, um, lot, lots of nerdy things. So my speciality. So it was a group of three guys. And one of the guys, you know, life happened and he decided yeah. to bow out. So I was friends with both my friends, Marcus and Steven on Facebook. And I would post like Game of Thrones memes or stuff about the upcoming, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe. So they saw that I was a bit of a geek. Uh, Marcus had messaged me be like, hey, we do a podcast. Do you want to come be a guest on it? I said, yes, let me talk about all of these things that I love to talk about. And so we did one podcast. And after that podcast went up, they're like, do you want to do this all the time? And at the time, I I had been in New York a full year going on two years, if not a full two years. And being, you know, in the audition circuit, getting a lot of rejection, I was starved for something that I could, you know, release my creative side on, both yeah. in talking about things that I'm really passionate about, um, helping with social media, making, making different things. I didn't think twice before saying yes. And we've been, we've taken a little break due to all of the, oh, the quarantine-ness yeah. and all the craziness in the world. But I've been on that podcast with these two guys 
for over three years now and they have become two of my best friends. We still check up on each other, you know, see how life is doing. If we ever have a problem, we're like, Hey, can you pray for me? Can you, you know, keep me in your thoughts? Um, It's just a very nice tight friend group that we have. And I'm very thankful for them. And so, yeah, we just talk about things that we're passionate about. And that's the great thing about podcasting. You can make a podcast for whatever you want. Yes. And it's amazing when you find an audience and you find people who, you know, are passionate about the same things. Yeah. And that was sort of like the same thing I've gotten early this year was, was this is how that, that this show got into my idea was that I was on my way back home. Mm-hmm. from my job and I was in this tunnel and you know how the tunnels are all those like oh you know we're supposed to be going back into Brooklyn on the D train that is going straight in like you're crossing the bridge and then you're going into the tunnel and going to Atlantic tunnel, like going back to Atlantic Center but during that little time you also stop by Decab Avenue and I believe I was by Decab Avenue or mm-hmm. because I because I remember being by it and then I just remember thinking, you know what would be a great show? Just talking to various people about their going off or something like that. And then yeah. I just started thinking about that idea more. And then I put that idea out on my uh, Instagram, social media. And then one of my friends, uh, my first guest actually, Frankie, he got into the idea too. And he says, you know, you know what? I'm going to be your first guest. So once you get... Like, once you get this idea off rolling on the ground, I want to be a first guest. And of course, by the time this was all happening, this for, this was during COVID, was starting to becoming a lot less of a day. Uh, I mean, not necessarily, uh, it was becoming just as dangerous in New York City, but not as dangerous because the, the cases were starting to rise, but it wasn't really rising yet. Mm-hmm. So it was in that, like, I want to say, like, that little uh, grace period where it was like, it wasn't serious but it was still becoming a serious uh, threat yes and i had the idea i was like okay you know what i could go around new york city find people you know uh, talk to people all that stuff and actually take my phone or something like that my recorder that sort of thing and actually record an hour or so of this me and this person whoever just talking over the thing and then of course when mm-hmm. corona hit it's like okay everything that i had planned yeah happen to be like okay i can't go out and do all this stuff now because even if i do that now it's like i gotta have probably like a team backing me up so this is how this whole idea especially because of last semester all my class well the most the the majority of my classes were on zoom so i became a little more familiar with zoom and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and just being able to talk with people on zoom became much more of like a, a normal thing so yeah so yeah, and the thing about podcasts, especially if you're like a three-person team or four-person team, you need to have that energy between the the, the between the three of you or four of you or how many of you together in one room. Because yeah. even in, because even if you're uh, doing like this, that's fine. But yeah, you still need to be in the same room together because you're essentially feeding off the same energy. Well. Well, my friends and I, we actually record in three different states. Yeah. I'm in New York. My friend is in Virginia and um, another friend is in North Carolina. So we record separately, but we already have that rapport 
with yeah. each other. So, you know, we have inside jokes that make it into some podcasts. We have relationships that, you know, carry on through each episode. The lines that, you know, people have started saying we have, we try to keep up with social media. We have an Instagram page, a Facebook page. We have a separate Facebook page where some of our listeners will join and just, just talk about movies themselves. And then we'll chime in. Um, if we feel like it, be like, Oh, this person got casted as this. How, how does everyone feel about it? Or, you know, this movie got pushed. Are we disappointed? Do we think it's a good idea? So having that rapport with, your your team is incredibly important but also building that with your audience too and we've tried to do that we've done a live show in virginia which was one of the funnest nights of my life and we also we have a couple annual things that we try to keep up engagement not only for the people who do listen already but for the people you know who haven't discovered us yet and we're like hey we're doing this cool thing come join along and you know give the podcast a listen we have our own you know award show like our fake oscars but we also do a march madness but instead of with sports we make it about movies and we keep try to keep it fresh every year so the first year we did it was you know a bracket of our favorite movies and the great thing about our team is that we each have very different, you know, favorites. Like our genres and our favorites, we are very different. Marcus and I, we're big on, you know, superhero films and um, kind of, we love franchises, but there are some franchises that I love that he's not into and there's some that he loves I'm not into. And Steven is much more, he loves animation. He loves talking about, you know, lesser known movies that Marcus and I don't even know about that aren't popular. So the first year we did March Madness, it was just our favorites. And I won that year. I'm the winner three consecutive years in a row. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) Uh, So each year, whoever wins gets to pick who, what the theme is. So the first year I won, I was like, okay, next year we're going to do March movie musical madness. And then this past year we did, Um, March Movie Madness Massacre, and it was all about not just horror movies, but horror icons. Ooh, okay. And so we tried... Who won the icon? uh, Oh, shoot. I think it was Frankenstein. Boris Kahlo's Frankenstein's monster. I'm one of those awful people who are like, um, excuse me, it's Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein was the doctor. (laughs) I'm that awful, awful person. Yeah, I tend to call him the creature anyway, or because the creature, or because I I know in uh, Pitting Dreadful they called him like I think Adam or Prometheon yeah. or something like that. So it's like when you call the creature like Adam or something like that, it's very I, I, it's odd because I'm very, like I, I have a Catholic upbringing, so hearing Adam is like. It's just like Adam and Eve. I, then I'm pretty sure that if, they, if I'm pretty sure if they bring in the bride, they got to call her Eve, right? But whenever they don't, but I'm just kind of glad. It's like when they have like ideas for the Frankenstein monster, especially mm-hmm. or the creature itself. Well, I can't call him the creature because there is a creature from the Black Room. So it's like, like when you say the creature, I'm like, well, what creature do you mean? The Frankenstein <laughs> or creature from the Black Room? room Specify or, which creature, creature you are discussing. Yeah. So. 
when I'm talking, uh, so Frankenstein's monster, it, I think it's probably a lot more better to say than a creature. But when you're talking about the, but when you're saying Frankenstein's monster and then you refer to it as a creature, people are like, okay, people know what you're talking about. But yeah, I, I think in, in terms of Frankenstein's monster in general, or just Frankenstein in general, I think uh, he has a great staying power because of not only a presence, but also just backstory in general. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Victor Frankenstein or Frankenstein, depending on how you see <laughs> or, or depending on how you see Which it. universe you're in? Are you in the <laughs> Universal Universe or are we in the Mel Brooks Universe? I, I, I've always liked, I always loved that uh, interpretation of uh, Frankenstein. It's not pronounced Frankenstein. Frank. <laughs> but, but in terms of Victor, you know, it's not because, you know, some films have portrayed him as the hero, some films have portrayed him as like the mad scientist. Mm-hmm. Some films like the Hammer series have portrayed him as being like almost evil as the monster itself. And then when you look at the monster itself, you're saying, oh, he's always just like, he's either big, dumb, or big and brooding, or big, or a big brute with genius, like a genius level mind. Or Robert De Niro in Nick. So, and again, oh, that I, version. Oh, that version. Uh, I, I, I love Kevin Brown, but Kevin Brown's Frankenstein is so over the top. And, and yet, I still love it. Too. I don't know why he was shirtless the entire time he was trying to make the creature. That blew me away. And he had a mullet, too. <laughs> it was the 90s. It was okay? shirtless Dr. Frankenstein with a mullet. <laughs> it was the 1990s, okay? Mullets were Yes, so it was right after. It was right after. After Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula came out, and this was base this was basically Sony's Dark Universe. Yeah, essentially. And there's only two. Well, actually, okay. I'm not sure if they're in this. I'm not sure if they made the same movie, but I know Mary Riley also came out at the same time. But I'm not sure if they, that was yes. Sony too. I think so. There's a there's a great video about this exact topic by Patrick Willem on YouTube. Yeah. Highly recommend everyone watch it because it kind of discusses what was the dark universe before Universal thought of a dark universe. Dark universe. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and again, the dark universe itself has is could be a whole. <laughs> that's a whole. That's a whole other topic. Yeah, and. Speaking of Dark Universe and, and 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 all that stuff, I noticed in the background you do have the Egyptian, yes. book, of, the Egyptian book of the Dead. Yes. Uh, so, and I know the costume on your on your left, which is my right. Uh, so I was about to say on my on on the right, but that's your left. But yeah. Uh, how did you get into uh, cosplay? That's, I got that's into. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a very a long win. It's like, how did you get into cosplay by just pointing out two cosplay items in the background? Oh, the things I have in the background for this exact episode. <laughs> um, so cosplay, it really started... My, my love for costumes and dressing up kind of started when I was a kid. I've, oh, I've always taken, taken Halloween very seriously. I was always the kid that wanted to dress up and no one understood who I was, but I didn't care. I was living my best life. So, you know, loving Halloween, getting to dress up. I was an only child growing up. So I spent a lot of my days waking up, you know, with my imagination running wild, thinking, I'm not going to be Lindley today. I'm going to be 
Belle or I'm going to be Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Um, my parents actually had to, my first day of kindergarten, they, I was obsessed with the Flintstones for some reason. They were like, Lily, okay, I need you to listen to me. You're not, you're not Pebbles today. You're going to be Lindley. I was like, okay. And then when mom picked me up, you know, I saw her. I was like, Wilma, you're finally here. My mom's name is Susan. <laughs> so that also, you know, kind of helped my parents realize that I was very creative. I wanted to. I didn't have childhood schizophrenia. I just really wanted to be an actor and play these yeah. different characters. So when I moved to New York, in the Carolinas, Comic-Cons were not really a thing. And it's something that I've always wanted to go to, you know, be in rooms with people who love the same things as me, love things that when I was a kid, I got made fun of for. I had kids, you know, bury my Star Wars books in the playground. It was not cool to be a geek back then. Well, so yeah, because... being able, yeah. Yeah, so being a geek, especially, uh, you know, me having glasses, wearing glasses throughout my entirety of growing up, it was like, oh, it's like, oh, a geek, you know, that sort of thing, a nerd. So I was, yeah. of course, always like an easy target. So yeah, uh, yeah. I'm it was still, be I, for becoming a geek was profitable like it is now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like, and, and I'm not talking about being a geek like being on Big Bang Theory, being a geek. I'm actually talking yeah. about being an actual nerd geek, where it's like you actually own up to everything and not being, yeah. oh, you know, I'm. Doctor Shook, something like that, and and, and again, I, I I know I, and I'm sorry about that. I'm, uh, I, I, and it's not because I've actually watched the Harley Quinn cartoon and I've watched Hollywood, and I know the, uh, I know Kelly Coco and Jim Parsecs. Parsecs or Par Parsons? Par Parsons. I may think of Parsecs. Uh, Parsecs is the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm kind of like dyslexic too, so. But I know both Kelly and Jim are fantastic actors, but when they're on that show, they're like- They are amazing. They, they, they are amazing actors, but when they're on that show, they're just like, oh, it's like they're, they're just running into a, they're just like, run <laughs> a wall, that sort of thing, where they, they just know, they're just like, they're just silently collecting their paycheck, that sort of thing, and just saying all these lines. But when they're, but when you watch like Holly Quinn and you hear Kelly's, Harley Quinn. I'm like, that is just. She's a fantastic she? Harley. Yeah. yeah. So when, when I moved, yeah, go. And, and, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say so when I actually moved to New York and was able to attend New York Comic Con for the first time and seeing pictures of all these people in their cosplays, I wanted nothing more than to do that myself. So I thrifted together a Scarlet Witch costume. It wasn't great. I went to the Marvel booth and they thought I was trying to be Peggy Carter. I was like, no, I'm Wanda. <laughs> and just seeing both the dedication that people put into their costumes and their, their basic performances of these characters that I've grown up to love or new characters that I had gotten an appreciation for. It, it was inspiring. Yeah, uh, I've seen videos of people who have, you know, uh, wear these costumes, that sort of thing, especially around like Comic-Cons, like New York Comic-Con, mm -hmm. or Comic-Cons over the seas, and, and I'm like, a lot of this stuff is like, not, it's, it's like, yeah, it's just homemade, or just like, uh, this, you know, 
homemade in general, where it's just like someone could dress up as Cable from X Men and be very uh, comic accurate, or they could dress as co uh, Cable from Deadpool Two and be more accurate towards that uh, towards you know that Cable, yeah. where it's like you know Josh Brolin, you know, uh, be like almost Josh Brolin that sort of thing, you know, and. It, it's odd how, you know, in the past, co uh, cosplayers, that sort of thing, they, I, I will say it's like, it, it got into a bad rap because a lot of these people, you will probably say, oh, it's like, oh, the, you know, these will probably be people who will be on, the, you know, the first line on a midnight showing for a movie that's coming out that's a blockbuster. That's like, uh, you know, uh, and, and it's odd because I'm finishing up Avatar, you know, I'm on season three. I, like I just like I just finished season two, which was amazing, and I'm happy. I'm just giving myself a couple of days off to to, to watch season three. And a mutual friend was like, yeah. kind of like upset because like, what? You're like, how can you stop on season two? It's like you should watch season three. I was like, as of right now, I'm like, I'm like, no, I, I needed some time to, like after season two. I just needed some time to stop. And then I'm watching <laughs> old videos of like how, you know, and then I see a video on. Avatar when the movie came out, which I haven't watched, but I've seen like clips of it of the movie. I was like, I'm like, yeah, it's okay, but I haven't really experienced the Avatar movie until I've actually watched the the show, and I'm probably gonna get a lot of heat for this. But I, from this the stuff I've actually seen in the movie, it looks generally all right. You know, I understand what M Night was doing, but you know, he had it. It's like the same thing with Joel Schumacher, who unfortunately passed away a couple of. I think yeah. a couple of weeks ago, he had the same problem with Warner Brothers when he was doing Batman and Robin, which was saying yeah. the studio really wanted to have a big, fantastic uh, toy commercial. And I think that's what Nickelodeon yeah. wanted in the end. Was essentially yeah. He actually came out and apologized for those yeah. movies. And I'm, yeah. makes I'm you like, feel bad for the guy. Yeah, it's like I have I have the Blu-rays of the Batman movies, and I know that's one of the special features is, you know, Joel Schumacher apologized with apologized for Batman and Robin, but it's odd, but watching this video of like Avatar when it was coming out opening weekend, you just see all these people dressed as characters from the show. And you know, if this was yeah. like maybe twenty years ago, people who were dressed as characters from this certain movie or, or what, what have you, they would be like mocked and scrutinized. Like, oh, you know, if this was like Phantom Menace, people would be like, oh, you know, look at that guy dressed as Luke Skywalker. Like, ha ha, that sort of thing. Yeah. But now we are in twenty twenty. You know, even though we're in 2020, people have essentially uh, appreciating people who are now dressed as cosplayers now, as opposed to say 20, you know, 20 to 25 years ago, where they were kind of like scrutinized. So, yeah. I, and and then you will, people like, and and then you will go into see people, you know, creating all these cosplay uh, like uh videos that, that sort of thing and people like oh i love how you did all this 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 all that and you know 20 years ago people like would probably be making fun of these people because you know they just look like they're coming up as crazy you know lunatics even though they aren't crazy you know yeah. they're just doing the stuff that they love uh, but to finish my point when you look at i know it's a long-winded point so I'm, I'm, i do apologize but to finish my point Cosplay has essentially evolved from being like almost free and scrutinized to essentially a, a performing art in a performing art in general. Mm -hmm. Do you see? And I know that even at Comic Cons, maybe at Comic Cons, I'm not sure if they still do it now. They still um, do. They still do like the 
like the uh, the best of, where it's like you know we're doing like a, like almost like a model walk off where the people just come up, show their costumes. Yeah. And it's like yeah, I'm cosplay not... competitions. Yeah, they're they're totally a thing. I've I've actually I just entered my first virtual um, cosplay competition myself. I've never done it before, but just because I've, I'm so intimidated, I've been cosplaying for for five uh, five or six five six years. Uh, time is irrelevant nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> um, time is a Exactly. <laughs> so. I was always too intimidated because I would see the people who, you know, would sew their own costumes. At the time, I hadn't learned to sew. I got into sewing because of cosplay. Yeah. And, you know, they would make these elaborate, like, wings and props. And I would just admire, like, I don't want to compete with them. I just want to admire what they can do because people think cosplay is just like, oh, yeah, you, you find a costume and you put it on and you're this character. Yeah. And... And there's no shame in people who just want to casual cosplay. It's it's still great for the people who do it. But the time and dedication that some people put into their their cosplays and their props and the skill is just absolutely incredible. And this is coming from yeah, this is coming from someone I'm as far as like sewing my own costumes. This one I was one of the first ones I made myself for this year, and it took me about three weeks. Whereas to my Book of the Dead, I made five years ago, and that took me about three months of you know trying to get it right, trying to figure out ways to accomplish what I wanted to without spending a whole lot of money. And yeah. I think that's where my my I... you know theater degree has gotten to some use because some of the stuff I learned in Yep. in shop for building sets really helped me um, yep. build this. And yeah. it really doesn't matter what your skill level is with cosplay. I started thrifting all my costumes and trying to be as accurate as possible. It doesn't matter if you are thrifting your cosplays, if you spend years making your cosplay, it doesn't matter what you look like too. I think that's one of the, the things about cosplay that I've fallen in love with and this ties into my theater background so when I moved to New York I've I've always had a thing about my weight and how I look talking about the body being a tool but also getting in that mindset is also very harmful so getting to New York and going on audition after audition not being seen or not getting cast that can take a toll and sometimes in in my case taking a toll affects my body yeah and when i would get cast in things it became a, oh you need to look a certain way i've had directors send me pictures of people in prison camp saying this is what you need to look like Jesus. and if i have one more person tell me i need to be in hairspray i'm gonna lose my mind but with cosplay it's free range. You get to, you know, embody a character that you've, you know, for me personally, one of my favorite people to cosplay is Evie from The Mummy because yeah. I grew I grew up with the movie. I've always admired the character, not because she was smart, but she was nerdy too. And yeah. she wasn't afraid to be nerdy. So I can, you know, and cosplay as her. And it doesn't matter what I look like. 
you could be someone of a different race and cosplay the same character. It doesn't matter just as long as you have that passion for it. And it's a very easy uh, costume all by itself. I want to say fairly easy, but it, like it's a fairly easy look to do because you just need like, yeah. I, for some reason, I was thinking of Rick because Rick is more like brown pants, white shirt, you know, suspenders, like the the gun strap thing, whatever the like the the, the wristband thing. Yeah. Uh, but making those leather straps, I know people who who you know to get it screen accurate. It's not just like oh, you get some suspenders or like. So hunting down those things or making them yourself, yeah. it, it takes a lot. Yeah. Uh, tell me, uh, and I do want to know, uh, you mentioned, uh, int- because I know on your social media, which I'll uh, ask you later, right before we end, because there's always a social media shout out. I know you just put on social media uh, the Eevee look of like, Choose your character, the Eevee look, and you just, and you did all the Eevee looks. Like, oh, Eevee the librarian, Eevee when she's going to Hamanatra, Eevee uh, at the start of the second movie, Eevee when she's like reincarnated as Akshunaman Moon's like uh, enemy. And I'm, I'm like, and I will say this, in terms of Mummy Two, that's like one of the things I do I don't like about Mummy Two is like that they suddenly like she's suddenly the reincarnation of. Uh, like action of the moon's like enemy or like like I'm like the Pharaoh's daughter, yeah. Yeah, I'm like suddenly it's just a Pharaoh's daughter. I'm like, why? <laughs> and and this is just, and, and we were just talking about the thing with the the thing with the um, the Dracula trope where it's like the reincarnation of the Dracula's wife or, or first love, that sort of thing. Like Meter is like uh, the reincarnation of uh, of his first you know his wife or something like that, but. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't like that, you know, plot aspect of it, Rachel Weisz still makes the character her own, even when mm-hmm. she's supposed to be like this reincarnation of the Pharaoh's daughter. And Nefertini, there we go. Uh, I lost, the, I, I forgot the name of the character <laughs> until it just suddenly came into my mind. But yeah, in, yeah. In terms of Evie, the character, you mentioned that you know she's like she's confident, she's nerdy, that sort of thing. Are there any other things that like just kind of like sparks your like interest in that character outside of those like two things? It's it really varies because she she is very confident, she is nerdy, but she's she was someone that made me, you know, in the past being like, it's okay to be a nerdy and you can still be the heroine, because in my opinion, Evie is the true hero of the month. She's the catalyst of the plot. I actually did an interview with Sci-Fi where I was like, she, you know, a lot of these tropes where the the girl is just there to be a damsel. She's just there to get saved to be like, oh no, come rescue me. Even though she does have to get rescued in the movie, she's the one that ultimately defeats the villain by, you know, knowing what she knows, putting it to use and saving the day. Well, yes, yeah, she was the one that raised the mummy in the first place, but, <laughs> but that's why it's like, she's the real catalyst of the story. Yep, where credit's due, it was Jonathan who helped, uh, who, were able, who was <laughs> able to help her in the end. It was like, uh, this stork thing, what is this stork? A manifest! Give credit to Jonathan, who may be an idiot, or maybe just like a lush, but he is also a helper in the end. But he's, yeah, a, the, he's a lovable character. Yeah, I, I love Jonathan in, 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 as a character because yeah. one, it, he, he, 
in any, in any other horror movie, he'd be like one of the first people dead. Like, he, oh, he's the guy who probably would be the one who would have waking up the money by accident. But no, he's one of the great heroes. It's like, not only is he a good hero, but he's also hilarious, charming, and also he has yeah. a great rapport, but also with Evie, but also with Rick. And, and, yeah. and, and, and Rick himself is a great character all by himself because one, he's like, oh, he has like the, the Indiana Jones trope where it's just like, oh, he, you know, he's the adventurer, that, that sort of thing, but he's also a criminal, that sort of thing. And and you expect him to be like, oh, he wouldn't say that he, like he has the Han Solo aspect where it's like, oh, you know, he's got to probably leave them when they're leave them to die. But no, he actually goes like the full tilt and actually goes to save the uh, the goes to save Evie at the end. So yeah, it's like, yeah. like yeah. Rick is like one is I, I want to say Rick O'Connell is one of the great uh, Universal monster heroes along with Evie and John. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so um, but it's. Yeah, but as far as, like, why I choose to, you know, cosplay Eevee, and it goes along with a lot of other characters that I really like to cosplay, is I try to find something that I really admire about the characters. With Eevee, it's her intelligence and her, you know, kind of nerdiness. But with Claire from Outlander, which is another um, character that I love to cosplay in several different forms, I absolutely love her strength. And just she's been through a lot of hard stuff, but she always finds a way to pick herself back up and do what um, needs to be done for the one she loves. Um, so with with every character that I try to cosplay, I always look for those important qualities. Like, what about this character do I love? What about the performance that the actors have brought to the table? What do I admire about that? And how can I take what they've offered in their craft? How could I apply it to not only my own, but to real life? And then Scarlet Witch, I love cosplay playing her because I'm sorry Thor she is the strongest Avenger. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when she's able to essentially uh, whoop Thanos's ass, especially the Thanos who <laughs> who doesn't even know her and still whip his ass. It's like you know that's yeah. you know that's a strong Avenger. Uh, yeah, and especially in the comics too. And I and I hope we get to see this more with WandaVision and the upcoming movies whenever they're going to come out. But she in the comics is able to wipe out the the majority of the mutant race by just yeah. saying three words and completely no alter reality. Then, exactly. Uh, of course. My, my buddies at Popcorn Prattle will know how sick they are of me talking about House of M. <laughs> I keep hearing about House of M, and especially back in the day, I was like, oh, no more mutants. I'm like, Wait, they actually had no more mutants now. It's like, and, you know, it, it, Imagine being me back in 2005, unsure what the hell was happening in Marvel Comics, and then reading online, it's like, oh, there's no more mutants. Like, literally, there's, like, literally, there's mutants left, but there's hardly any more mutants left. It was like, she did the whole, she basically did the down snap, but, like, she essentially split, <laughs> like, essentially half yeah. the mutants in general. Uh, okay, I do have a last question, a couple last questions. Uh, one of the sure. last questions still does involve cosplay. In terms of cosplay, have you encountered a character that is hard to recreate? Because I've seen people who oh. have, I've seen people who have cosplay in fully functional Five Nights at Five Nights at Freddy characters. 
like literally the more mm-hmm. later games where it's like they're more animatronic they actually have like working stuff and i'm like this is impressive that's what i think and <laughs> especially since these characters are supposed to be you know animatronics itself and here's these people who have who look like they're working actual animatronic uh things have you actually found a character that you found in the past that was hard to recreate but in the end through your essentially technical know-how not only with theater know-how especially as you know with your theater background was there a character that essentially that you found that was hard to create but in the end was actually kind of easy to create but still hard to just recreate in general there there's a couple that i found challenges in um two of them mostly being evie and claire i've done a I've done a couple Claire cosplays, and this was actually a costume that was made by someone I know, um, costumes by Ali. She is so talented, and she helped me out before I learned how to how to do this. Yeah. So there is a, in the second season of Outlander, Claire has this beautiful green Rococo-esque dress. And I was like, I want to do this so bad. It's gorgeous. And I was able to save up and find the costume but it's not very smart to wear a costume like that at comic-con because this costume in the rococo era and being a historically based dress it's a lot of a boned bodice that is very like structured um but not only that is that you have to have the undergarments you have to have a pinier which is the type of it's basically a sort of hoop skirt that makes your oh. makes you look like you got hips for days so <laughs> I, I, I i know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so that costume I, i've, I've seen, never I've felt seen pictures of that, so i know what you're talking about yeah like the uh, i've big, never felt yeah i've never felt more confident than i have than i do in that dress but walking around a convention in that thing i would get my tail the tail of the dress stepped on quite a bit and that got annoying but also getting through doorways is so much fun i i dressed i i did that dress because the cast of outlander was doing a panel so i had to walk the the convention is always at the javits center but sometimes if they have big panels like for a show like outlander they will have them at madison square garden so not uh-huh. only did i have to walk from the javits center to madison square garden in that monstrosity but getting through security i could not walk forward through the metal detectors i literally had to turn to the side and shuffle my way through with the security guards laughing at me the entire time so that's probably one of the more difficult costumes and also whenever i'm evie it doesn't matter what outfit of evie's i choose to wear whether it's her final nightgown or her library outfit i always try to carry my book of the dead the book of the dead um, there are people who make amazing replicas and yeah. lightweight replicas. This is not lightweight. Wait, I yeah. made this from a, a, a box from Michael's, painted it. The, um, the details were hand carved out of foam and the hinges were made from door openers and clay. And the spine is a paper towel roll. 
<laughs> so <laughs> there are some of them that I had to be real DIY with. And I made it specifically this way so I don't have to carry a purse. It yeah. opens like I'm opening a book, but it can also hold like my wallet and my phone. And Ooh. I did this to, you know, because you don't want to see Evie yeah. wearing a purse. I tried to be as in character as possible with it. But when I do fill up that thing, it gets very heavy. And so by the end of a convention, um, I carry it in this arm usually and then hold my key that I made in this hand. So whenever we get stopped for pictures, um, I can have it ready to pose. Yeah. That's, that's one of the most things, like when people stop and ask for a picture. It's very flattering. But that thing does get really heavy. So by the end of the convention, my arm is a noodle. The be one of the best things about cosplay is getting out yes. of cosplay. <laughs> At the end of the day, you get to take something off. You get to, you know, throw your hair in a bun, wipe off the makeup, and just like, I'm me again. I'm just kind of reminded of the t of uh, uh, my one of my favorite movies is RoboCop, and I'm just kind of reminded of how Peter Weller was in the shoot most of the time, and then well, they got to and then they got to a point where they got like they they had to give him fans inside the suit that sort of thing, and he's just like he's just sweating buckets underneath the suit, and then and then he, and then when he talks about the suit, he's always remembering fondly of it because even though it was hell's for him, he's like he always remembers fondly of it because. Even though there is difficulties in cosplay, and you're creating a cosplay that is so difficult, say like you know what you just mentioned, especially when you're holding up a perfectly sized replica that kind of is <laughs> that's a functioning replica, but at the same time you're still holding a wallet, everything, and it's like you know putting whatever is inside of there. It gets it heavy. You out. You know, at the end of the day, once you're out of that out of the costume, it's sort of like in theater. Like once you're out of that costume costume in theater and you just you're and you're just you again it is like oh. yeah you just like it's, relax yeah it's like when you're when you're done with the show cosplay it's big on theatrics and i've tried to use you know what i've learned in college towards you know this new form of theatrics or this new form of whatever it is i'm doing that i'm passionate about that i'm just really excited about but it's the same as, you know, when you're done with the show, you wipe off your makeup and you go home and you rest. And it's, it's just, it's rewarding. And on that note, uh, do we have any, uh, I only have essentially two questions left, but uh, do you, well, three questions really, but the, the, third <laughs> one's really, the, third, the third one's really just like a, the social media shout-outs. I don't really call it a question, more like a, uh, a shout-out thing, but I, I do have two questions left. Uh, do you have... Once COVID sort of like stops being a nuisance, or at least stops being a nuisance in New York City, where it's just like we're kind of like back to phase four because like right because right now phase four has been approved in New York City, but we don't know when mm -hmm. the theaters and everything will be back open. Thing. Uh, once we there is a sense of theater back in New York, what can, what can we essentially see in terms of like your foreseeable future? Like what can we see in the future? Um, for myself, you know, hopefully I can take this time to, you know, this, this quarantine time where I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands to really focus on myself and talking, talking about how my body is my tool, getting my body back in shape to being the tool that 
I want to, but also yeah. taking that time to really rest and relax and prepare my mind for, you know, getting back to doing what I came to New York to do. Um, so that's my plans. And also hopefully during this time, I've got a, I've got a list on this little blackboard here of all, now that I know how to sew or I'm learning, <laughs> I'm yeah. learning, I'm still in the process. I've got a list of costumes that I'm you hoping get, to bring to the next convention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, I've got a couple star Wars ones, a couple Broadway ones. I, I, I'm a big Phantom of the Opera fan. My, my, a lot of my social media stuff is Little Lottie because that, that was my first big fandom, was the Phantom of the Opera. And I have my dream, and one of the reasons I really got into theater was because I wanted to play Christine Daae. I still do, whether in the Andrew Lloyd Webber version or, heck, in a new dark universe. I just, I love the story and would love to play the character, but I want to do a couple of her costumes and then a costume from Six the musical, which is one of yeah. my new favorites. If you don't know what it is, I highly recommend so many bops and such a good story. <laughs> ah, yeah, so, nothing like nothing like the capitation or two. Uh, because I, <laughs> I, I know six is about the 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 Baudelaire, not the Baudelaire, so the Bolden, uh, <laughs> about Henry the Sixth and his wife. So it's like, Hen like yeah, Henry the Eighth and all his wives oh, come Henry back to form a Spice Girls girl group, and it's insane, <laughs> but it's. It's such an it's such a weird concept, but it works so well because the music is great. Bonus, it's only ninety minutes, so wow. it's a ninety minute show, no intermission, and I don't think it needs an intermission. No, but and it's also like you know they talk about a lot. These women were known for just being the wives of a scandalous king, but what else do they have to bring to the table? It's, you know, taking back their story of, you know, these women in history that are only seen for one thing, but can be known for so much more. Uh, for my last question, it's kind of fairly easy. Uh, do you have any advice for people watching or listening at their YouTube slash podcast convenience? Um, if, the performing arts, if cosplay, if podcasting, if it's something that you're curious about or it's something you want to do, do it. Do not let a soul stop you if this is something that you are truly passionate about. Don't let things like saying, oh, you can't do that or you don't look a certain way or you don't have the skills. Don't, don't let that stop you if it's if it's something that you're passionate and driven about, and if it's on your heart, carry on. And lastly, I think you mentioned your, your social media already, but uh, could you repeat your social media? Sure. Just to get, just to get more people to, to follow you on Twitter or Facebook or Friendster or MySpace or whatever. <laughs> I haven't thought about MySpace in a hot second. I know. You can be like, in my top I, eight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of made that joke last. I, I brought back that joke last night, or maybe in the last couple of episodes. So every now and then, Friendster and MySpace has got to be the recurrent joke of like when Solid. you're talking about like, like because <laughs> I because I, I, I do remember coming home from college one night, and I'm going on the, I'm going to my. Uh, <laughs> I remember so vividly. I'm going to the 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 bus stop and there's this guy handing out friendster uh 
things like I'm like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, oh, this is just friendship. You could just sign up and everything. It's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I have MySpace, dude. It's like MySpace is like the way that it's like I have. Like I'm thinking to myself, I don't even have MySpace or something like that. And then a couple, like, and maybe like maybe a month or two later, I just signed up for my MySpace. And now oh my it's gosh. Like, and now it's just like, and now it's like ten years later. It's like I don't even have a MySpace anymore. I have it just a Facebook and an Instagram. Yeah. Uh, Twitter, so. <laughs> I'm uh, sold. I still yeah. Have my Snapchat, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of your social media, uh, you can mostly find me on Instagram at Little Lottie. That's little L O T T I E, all one word. Um, that's where I post most of you know what's going on in my life, and also a lot of my cosplays and progress and things of the sort that I do. I'm. I just recently joined TikTok because I'm cool with the kids. Um, and that's Little Lottie Cosplay, all one word. And I also have a cosplay Facebook page, which is Little Lottie Face Cosplay. Um, definitely check out Popcorn Prattle. Uh, go listen to our past episodes. Hopefully we'll be back soon after this little mental health hiatus. Um, and you can also find me. I am a blogger and writer for the social media teams of both Outlander Cast, which is a wonderful podcast talking about Outlander, and also Universal Monsters Universe. We talk about, you know, the new monsters, the, the old OG monsters, and it's just all up. So you can find me at any of those places. And on that note, thank you again. Uh, thank you, Lindy. Uh, Lindy, right? <laughs> Lindley. Uh, it, Lindley. It's, uh, it's, We've been talking for so long that I forgot how to say names. It's the story of my life. I've gotten Lily, Lindsay, <laughs> Ling Ling has happened more than once. Wow. Well, Miss Key. <laughs> there we go. I'll take it. <laughs> Miss Key, thank you for being a great guest today on my podcast. Thank you for having me. Of course. Uh, again, for the people watching, yeah, just stay safe. Wear a mask. Don't be stupid. Just Amen. Have fun. Have fun, everybody. And until next time, take care, everybody.